Hey, this is Sam from Brain Tools, and this is the shortcut version of our Brain Tools podcast, where you get just the Brain Tools, all four of them, uh, nothing else. It's short, practical, and sweet, and I hope you like it. Brain tool number one, Sam, which is create your user manual. Cue suspenseful music. Ooh, <laughs> what's a user manual for so, a person? So the best way I can probably frame this is my question for you, Sam. Like, say you get a new device. What do you do normally when you buy a new device? So number one thing would be to uh, turn it on and off and then proceed to not realize what I'm meant to do with it and then probably go have a look at the instructions. You'd hope so, right? So this yeah. is the key thing, right? You've got instructions that come with the new device. And without the instructions, look, we probably could figure out what to do with the device and how it's meant to work, but it'd be really, really difficult. It'd be frustrating and inefficient. This is the exact same thing when it comes to working with other people, right? People don't explicitly know how they like to work in a team necessarily, nor a manual to work with other people. And so what becomes really important here without that is you can't possibly work together well. So the solution is super simple. You want to create a user manual, your own user manual for yourself that outlines your personality, your working style, and have all other team members do this. So create your own user manual like, well, how would you create your own user manual? What does that look like? Really, really good question. So the way that you would do this is obviously you need to have some, let's, I don't want to call it objective data, but you need to have another yeah. mirror with it. So a big five personality test is probably the most robust personality test. Please don't just go down and say, I'm going to do my MBTI because this is what everyone oh, does and no. leverages confirmation bias. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's certainly not necessarily the best one. And it's the most robust because it looks at five key traits of openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, mm. and neuroticism. Now, once you've done that and you've got a bit of a mirror to help your self-reflection, then that can aid the key questions that you want to have in this user manual. Now, Sam, here are the questions. How do you like All to right. work? How do you not like to work? What are your working strengths and weaknesses? When you work well with someone, what does that look like? When you work poorly with someone, what does that also look like? And doing these questions has two layers to it. We talk so much about self-reflection and Socrates' quote of the unexamined life is a life not worth living. But you knowing how you want to go about that, how you do this, then means you can send it for feedback to your coworkers. Send it to your team members so they have an understanding and it might just simply confirm what they already knew, but it creates a really interesting dialogue and you can have a meeting with them to look at any potential clashes. And that was the first brain tool that I want to really level down on, which is create your user manual. So it's almost outlining how other people should be working with you and then sharing that around so everyone has a bit of an understanding of how you fit into the team and how they can work with you. Absolutely. And it's through self-reflection as we constantly look about. It's yeah. using your prefrontal cortex. It's thinking about that conscious, deep thinking that you can do that can uh, hopefully lead to better teamwork and better team outcomes. Mm. I've never done this. And I know we've actually talked about this before that I've never gone through this process. And I've heard many teams of creating this own user manual or even communication guides and, and then pushing that out to their team and how effective that's been. So I really, really like that brain tool. We've got the thanks, mate. And it kind of oh, you, you're welcome. I really do like it, and I'm, it's funny because came up in a conversation the other day in a team I'm in where I had one of my team members said we should probably put out our communication styles or yeah. our user manuals, so to speak. He said because I can already see there's a need for that. So use it because obviously it's got some practical use. And building on that is this brain tool too for those moments when communication does break down and you have some heat within the team, there's an argument or a disagreement. And break tool number two is share the feels. 
What I mean by this is you can synchronize brains within your team by sharing what you think, how you feel, and why so that other brains can couple to yours through that emotional synchronization process. And we know this is true because we can look at the work of Lauren Numenma in 2012 in Finland, who stated emotions promote social interaction by synchronizing brain activity across individuals. So as we talked about before, just the, the, the act of stating how you feel and sharing how you feel allows other people to synchronize their brains with yours, understand where you're coming from, and therefore get on the same page in those heated moments. That's so important, as you've said, right? Because you need to understand the people that you're working with by understanding yourself first and foremost. But there's also the expression component, right? People can't, if you you allow people to guess what's in your head, they're probably going to guess incorrectly. And even if they do guess it right, you're probably not going to appreciate being told how you feel because you need to be the person that expresses it. So I'm thinking in like a a team setting, right? Workplace-wise, how would you go about personally implementing this? I'll give you a personal example of when I did implement it in my last workplace and I was having a disagreement amongst my team about uh, a direction of uh, this content project we were going through. And all I said was, okay, team, listen, I'm feeling a little bit attacked from all sides here because I've put forward this idea and I'm actually really worried that if we don't go with this strategy, this project is going to collapse and it's going to reflect badly on me. And then the whole team turned around and was like, oh, we didn't realize you were worried about the project collapsing. Mm. Oh, no way. And suddenly the, the script flipped flip from being, oh, no, we don't want to do your idea. This is our idea. This is what we think to being like, oh, I understand how you feel. Okay, let's try to reach some form of resolution. And I guess the practical implication then is if you're in one of these team situations where you do have a disagreement, simply stating, I feel like X because of X reason, and I'm actually really worried about X, Y, and Z, will give the other person more than enough cognitive context to synchronize with you to understand your emotional state and therefore help them work with you better. The key word here to highlight, and you've said it so well, is feel. Notice the difference, right, when I say I think versus I feel. And people immediately, when you say, I think it's an opinion, they're disagreeing with me, but I feel is that vulnerability that's coming across as you're saying. And when you said it in that situation, if a person comes at you and says, well, screw your feelings, they're clearly not being very compassionate and they're clearly not being very empathetic. And so the onus is on them right. to rectify their behavior as opposed to what you've done, which is I feel you're vulnerable. You put yourself out there. Love, love it. So much, so much easier. And it also takes a lot of pressure off them trying to understand how you actually feel it and how they should respond. So the, the wrap up is to take the guesswork out of teamwork in those situations by sharing your emotions to synchronize your brains. And that's brain tool number two. Yeah, it works perfectly. And we're constantly reminded, mate, of the amygdala, right? Like you come in hot. Oh, yeah. Um, people, as you said, from the, the very, very start was they have these alarm bells where it's self-preservation mode. You want to try and, you know, disconnect that, bring all the, the guards down. And that beelines beautifully into brain tool number three, which is team contracts. Team contracts. We're talking dollar signs here? Yeah, obviously, right? <laughs> Signing as a team team bonus, where we're at. Now, there was one piece of data that stood out to me, and it was from a book. It was called the Senior Leadership's yep. Team Book, and they surveyed 120 top teams across industries, including the military, hospitals, startups, and so on. And what was really interesting is almost every team said they had clear boundaries, but 
only 10% of them, less than 10% agreed what those actual boundaries were. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I don't like that, that big disconnect we spoke about of people yeah. thinking that is the case versus the actuality of it. And you're yeah. laughing. I feel like you're laughing for a reason. I feel like I'm laughing for a reason because I can't, I can, can't even count the amount of times where I've said, yeah, I've got really, really clear boundaries. And then I look at them and they don't exist. <laughs> and there's no definition there. Hey, I like invisible boundaries. They're communicated. And I think that aligns with what we've been talking about all along in terms of teamwork and communication, right? There's what you communicate, but there's also how you communicate. And when all team members don't have a baseline expectation, they will take the path of least resistance, which is to do nothing or to do probably the most ineffective thing. And that's ambiguity bias. So it's really highlighting this idea. We sign individual contracts. We sign it, dotted line, but what about team contracts? And so the solution becomes really clear is to draft a team contract in your team of six, 10, whatever it might be. Hopefully it's in that number and involve all the team members. Okay, so... We're drafting these team contracts. What do you put in them? What does it look like? So in practice, this is where your user manual becomes really important. That's been helping you obviously share your feelings in the right way. Basically, here's a a bit of an outline. Each team member creates their five baseline expectations and they submit it to the leader because there is going to be a leader there. And this is leveraging the IKEA effect. And Sam, I know you love the generation effect, but people are more likely to be connect with something that they create than if someone else creates. And this is where we want to make sure of reactants, right? If you get a team contract and put it down to your team and say, hey, sign this, there's going to be a lot oh, more yeah. questions than, hey, I actually want you to create this team contract with me. And that's a complete flip on what's normally done because you're using agency. Any thoughts on that first point? Yeah, I've- you know how I feel about agency and reactance and the backfire effect. And I'll simply say this, when your parents told you what to do as a kid, your first reaction was, go away. <laughs> this Probably is exactly worse. that. <laughs> something a little bit worse. That was a very PJ reaction. So I think that's really, really important to have that co-creation process. Absolutely. And then what the leader does is in this group, you collate all of these things and you share them all, unadulterated. Here is all the expectations that you have come up with yourself. And then you have your team meeting, right? And your aim here is to really clearly look at what the five, six, seven, whatever you end up deciding, obviously be mindful of how many expectations you want to have. But then of those expectations, and I'll give you an example in a little bit, establish how you're going to A, communicate it in terms of when it's actually met, but also B, what does it look like when it's not met? Those examples to highlight what is good practice and bad practice becomes really, really important and creating rituals for these expectations. So Sam, an example I want to give you is I think this is on literally every company value board or expectation board, which is like, do what do what you'll say you'll do, right? Which is linking with Google's Aristotle project of being reliable, right? Mm. Everyone sort of has this there, but what does the actual behavior and team practice look like? So it could be what this looks like is all meetings and with clear deadlines, literally this is a five minutes where we assign the deadlines and we assign it to people for our accountability and we look at what does success actually look like. And that's one way it could be in action. There's so many other examples, but that tangibility and agreeing on that becomes, yeah, I think super important in actualizing really effective teamwork. Yeah, and it's just setting the ground line, like the, the ground, sorry, ground lines, setting the, the ground rules is what I'm trying to say, <laughs> stumble there, of what is expected, which we know is really important from a certainty perspective, um, the way the brain interprets uncertainty with the correlation to our stress response and uh, alertness system. It's really, really important having that, that contract and that structure in place because it gives people an understanding of what 
is expected of what will happen next. Absolutely. And you can't have expectations if you haven't decided on what those expectations are, nor have you communicated. Yeah. Like, at least it makes some sense. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you haven't said it, and I've experienced this before, unwritten expectations or unwritten rules are not rules because not everyone can be 100% clear on them. Everyone has their own inter- interpretation. Absolutely. And you, my friend, then have brain tool number four. Yeah, have brain tool number four. And speaking of in interpretation of situations and the way we process them is brain tool number four, which is create a mistake space to embed psychological safety in your team. And what this is, is you can build trust and psychological safety, my friend, by simply showing your team it's okay to make mistakes, that they're acceptable by sharing them in the team. And to make it extra fun, you can you can make it more enjoyable, a fun practice. But effectively, what this does is communicate to the team that it's okay to share your mistakes. It's okay to get things wrong because there are no social repercussions from within the team. And we know from the research coming out of uh, Dr. Amy Edmondson, a professor at Harvard Business School who studies effective teams, that across industries, psychological safety is the key element that differentiates high-performing teams from the rest. And psychological safety, in her opinion, is defined as a sense of confidence that your team will not embarrass, reject, punish you for speaking up and sharing your ideas, questions, concerns, and mistakes. So by sharing your mistakes and creating a mistake space from the team, you're actually creating a psychological safety mechanism within that team. Yeah, that links so well with one of the myths we spoke about earlier, right? Which is like a harmonious team is a productive team, right? Which is, you know, right. the, the ultimate myth, right? Because when I hear the word safety, I'll be honest with you, I think I feel safe, secure, everything's going to be okay. But the reality is psychological safety is a deeper level than that. It's like I trust that if I communicate something bad or something that might you might not agree with, that I'm not going to be chastised or crucified for that opinion, for that belief, for that fact. Absolutely. It's you will be accepted even if you have an opposing viewpoint that this team is safe for you to be in regardless of the opinions you hold. Love it. So in practice, as we always say, can you give some examples in the workplace of how this might look? Yeah, really, really simple here. We'll take it from the the perspective of a team leader. If you are managing a team, you can create a mistake sharing practice. Uh, one way could be to embed this into your Monday, Monday morning stand-ups and just have mistake Mondays. Share what you messed up last week. By the way, last week, my biggest mistake was X, Y, and Z. You communicate this to your team every Monday and you make it a fun thing you can make a joke about and share about. Something that's a lot safer to make mistakes and share them in the team. If you're an individual contributor, if you're just part of the team but not leading the team, one thing you can do, and I have done this personally in the past, is make a habit each week of sharing one thing, one mistake you made with your team publicly. Because not only does this help embed that state of psychological safety within the team, but according to some of the research we talked about last week on trust, so go check that out, it actually helps build trust and perception of competence. Yes, admitting mistakes builds perception of competence with those others around you while also giving them permission to do the same. And that's my brain tool number four, which is create a mistake space by admitting your mistakes in the team to create psychological safety. Yeah, I'm loving all these brain tools because they all look at what we talked about before, communication, right? You've got to know how we're going to, like what are the rules of engagement we communicate? Then we've actually got to communicate it. We've got to have the space for communication as per what you've said. Um, 
Yeah, it all works together for effective teamwork and getting more stuff done to the goal that we want to get to. Totally agree. And we'd be remiss to talk about communication without re-communicating the four brain tools we just covered as a recap. So let's go back up to the top. Let's do it. So brain tool number one is creating your user manual. In the same way, when we get a new device, a new gadget, you hope you read the instructions so you can get it done. It's the same thing when you work with a team and other people. We need to understand what their working styles are and predominantly you need to understand what yours are. So ask yourself these questions after doing a personality assessment like the big five. How do you like to work? How do you not like to work? And most importantly, what does work look like when it's actually humming? What's that team flow that we spoke about? And doing that means that everyone's going to be on the same page with how everyone likes to work and how you can best work as a team. And that's brain tool number one, create your user manual. And when you've got these user manuals, you're working together, you're still going to have situations where there is conflict, where there is tension and disagreement. And in those situations, use brain tool number two, which is share the feels. Say, I feel X because of X, Y, and Z, which is making me worried about Z. And the result of sharing your feels Sharing your emotions will synchronize your brains with your teams, help them understand where you're coming from and make it much easier for you all to resolve your problem. And that's brain tool number two, share your feels. Which again, lines up perfectly with brain tool number three of team contracts. If you're sharing the feels, that needs to be a really, really important part of how are we actually going to communicate and what are our expectations on communicating? And so make sure that you leverage agency. If you are the leader or you are the team member, make sure everyone's sharing what their expectations or values are on how you're going to work as a team. Make sure you sign off on them, leverage that agency, and make sure everyone's on the exact same page because if you can do that, then you can ritualize that exact behavior, which means it's going to have an impact. Self-directed neuroplasticity 101 for teams. Brain tool number three, team contracts. And you've got these team contracts in place. The last thing you can do to improve your team cohesiveness is brain tool number four, which is create some mistake space. How do you do this? If you're an individual, share a mistake each week publicly, put it in your Slack channel, put it in your Teams channel, put it wherever you is, but show that it's okay to share mistakes. Or if you're a team leader, create an opportunity and a time in the week where team members can share things that they've got wrong, share their mistakes so you can normalize that mistake sharing process and show that there are no social repercussions because doing this creates psychological safety, which is the basis of high-performing teams. And that's brand tool number four, create a mistake space. Perfect. And that is coming to the end of Brains at Work episode four, or part four rather. If you haven't checked out the previous ones, productivity, resilience, and trust, go check that out. But as we always like to do, and you probably know this, what's our 80-20 for the day, Sam? So my 80-20 for the day is great teams are in sync. Great teamwork is synchronization via sharing by sharing emotions, by sharing thoughts, by sharing goals and objectives. And so to work well in teams, focus on sharing. Absolutely. Beeline's perfectly what I'm talking about because if you're in sync, you're communicating, but a failure of communication is a failure of teamwork. So Mm. understand your team members, understand how you communicate, and then ritualize communication. Because as we spoke about with Dr. Sandy, he talked about the number of exchanges you have being correlated with the performance of the team. And that is my 80-20 for the week, Sam. All right, and that wraps up what was a really, really interesting and hopefully a very, very useful episode on teamwork and the brains. I feel like I've learned a lot personally. So I thank have you. Well, hey, if we're implementing stuff, Sam, I suppose uh, our next uh, Monday meeting, we're going to be implementing all of this oh, yeah. to 
get the rocket ship that is brain tools going up absolutely and thanks again for joining us on this journey that's all we've got for this week that's bye from me that's bye from me as well and see you next week